Hello, podcasters. Teresa McBean here. That's it? Just Teresa McBean here? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, this is Scott McBean over here. And together, we are at North Star Community, and we are doing yet another one of our podcasts, sort of a re-wrap and edit and sometimes rewrite of the message we did the previous weekend. And today, we are doing one of Scott McBean's messages. Yep, this is, I think, the third uh, message we've done in the series on First John, which we said in the prior couple podcasts. It's unusual for us to just walk through a book, um, but we have decided to do that. So um, here goes, I guess. Yeah, and I think it was July 13 and 14, Yep. for those who care about the date, um, that we did this message at North Star. Yeah, so it'll be minus three weeks or something from... Whenever you're hearing this, the message was roughly three weeks prior. But that's that only presuming they listen to it right after we drop it, so. Yeah, yes, exactly. So, I mean, this could be like being listened to on a, um, because somebody randomly finds it while living on the moon. That is true. I do look at our statistics. Most of the people who listen, listen the week that it is released. But there is always exceptions. Well, aren't you fancy to know that? <laughs> Very good. (laughs) So this week's message started off with a bang. Okay. Um, And um, On Saturday night? Well, Saturday and Sunday because these verses I find to be um, potentially quite controversial. Okay. They've got to be head scratchers unless you have a complete loss of short-term memory. And you just live from moment to moment because it's these verses include this belief that we shouldn't love the world. Well, uh, I feel like if you're going to talk about specific verses right off the bat, then we should read them. Well, that's what I was going to suggest. Okay. Um, But before you do that, let me just say that one of the things that I really appreciated, as always, about the way you do messages is... Um, I love how how you help us unpack um, what the passage is really saying as opposed to what we might feel it is saying or presume it's saying. And this was one of those passages that you unpacked in a lovely way for me personally. So thank you for that. And yeah, why don't, why don't you read the verses and let's get started. Dive right in. Okay. Uh, I believe I say this every time I read something, but the Bible that sits on my desk is a different translation from the one we usually read in our services, and um, I should probably do something about that, but I haven't done it yet. So this is slightly different. If you were there and are listening, or um, if you if you hear us quoting throughout the rest of the podcast, some of the wording may be different. That's just a translation thing. So we read a few more verses than this, but for the sake of the podcast, we can have a little bit narrower focus. So this is from 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desire are passing away but those who do the will of God live forever. And I just want to say right at the outset, because 
uh, my favorite line is is from the, that final verse there, and the, the world and its desire are passing away. The version we read said the world and its cravings are passing away. Right. Um, and I think that is... Um, um, I think that's a translation that pulls out the meaning a little better, even right. if it's not like a literal word word for word uh, translation. It's it's not just like it's it's not the world's desire. It's the kind of desire that you have from being so attached to the quote unquote world, which we'll unpack in a second. Right. Um, so yeah, it's not uh, an impersonal desire. It's a very personal. It's uh, a craving. Yeah. Yeah. It's a craving. It's an so, urge. It's a compulsion. Yeah, I was getting ready to probably ramble too much, so yeah, we'll just leave that for now. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, the immediate thing that comes to mind, if you're not paying attention to the context and whatnot, is how can God say this? Because he said his world was very good, and we were given a quite lovely... Uh, responsibility as human beings to take care of his creation. Um, and we're supposed to love stuff, not hate stuff. So what's up in this passage when uh, it's talking about the world? Because I'm pretty sure that when it's talking about the world, it can't be talking about trees and flowers and cardinals and hummingbirds. Can we take can we take just a moment before I answer that and just laugh for a second? Actually, this is going to sound really condescending and I don't want to be condescending and I don't want to be smarmy cuz um wow. That person needs to get their belts checked or something. I think all of the podcast listeners just heard a car pulling out of the parking lot that sounds like it's in terrible shape. Yeah, it was in terrible shape. Okay, so almost so many people say they read the Bible literally. Yes. Right? And what Ooh, they. I'm gonna, I love where you're going with this already. Okay. The thing is, nobody reads the Bible literally. Right? And so many people say they do, and they say that if you don't read the same way as them, then you don't respect the Bible. Right. You don't respect God's word because you don't read it literally, which means you don't think it says exactly what the words on the page seem to suggest at their most face value. Right. Yet, I would dare you uh, to find somebody who reads this passage and thinks that hating the world means hating trees. And hummingbirds. Right. Yes. Uh, or hating people, right, which are part of the world. Yes. So so I guess I got you started on the smarmy uh, path of condescension, but <laughs> yes, that's right. And you know what? There are some people that believe that who take that very puritanical uh, approach to life where you're not supposed to enjoy life or you're not supposed to enjoy beauty or you're supposed to be very puritanical and serious and nothing's supposed to be particularly pleasurable. I mean, I don't know why anyone would want to go that way with that definition, but there are a few people in the world who take that approach. Yeah, and to be fair, that is uh, probably rare and unusual, but it does exist. It doesn't so, happen much in the U.S. of A. Uh, yeah, well, 
it it doesn't matter. We'd be getting too far afield, I suppose. But I just always relish an opportunity to point out that most people don't read literally, even though they're very judgmental about reading literally. Yeah. So what do we mean? What do we think that this book means by the world? Well, one of the things that I like to do, just in case you're curious about how you might do this for yourself, I get asked this from time to time, is let the words around the words in question help you figure out what is meant. Right. So, in other words, use the context, use what's going on, use those things as context clues to to give you some some idea of what's going on. And this was really great. I don't, I, you know, before I got to this point in my message on Sunday, somebody in the crowd, we won't use names, spoke up and, and said, because I asked this question, I, I think, or I don't remember, but, you know, what do you think is meant by the world here? And somebody said, well, I'm looking at these verses here that talk about the desire, the desire of the flesh and the, you know, whatever it says. Cravings. Um, it, these cravings. And I'm thinking that has something to do with the world. And I'm like, yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. So let's take a step back for a second. Last week, which um, mom hates it when I talk about podcast timing, but I just think it's funny and cute. Uh, last week's podcast we recorded yesterday. So it's fresh in our minds. And um, yesterday, what we talked about is the fact that there uh, in First John talks about the difference between light and darkness. Right. And we get very confused about this because we think that we are people who are constantly living on the edge of light and darkness. Or perhaps we only have moments of light in our lives and we mostly live in darkness and we're doing the best we can, but we can't quite get there. Right. Right. Something like that. Right. Um, and what we talked about is the fact that um, this actually is a place, this book is actually a place where dualistic thinking is appropriate. Right. Like you can be a person who lives in the light and you are in the light and you make mistakes and you continue to live in the light if you're able to um, self-reflect and put those things out in the open. Correct. And you are living in the dark if you are hostile to God and, and making moves to undermine the work that God is doing in the world. Right. So if you're trying to prevent mercy from taking place or you're <laughs> well or just behaving unmercifully as a lifestyle right. right we all have moments of being unmerciful right but a moment is not enough to push one out of the light you have to be defined by your unwillingness to extend mercy right, right? and that kind of thing right so that's where we find ourselves when we are talking about the world i mean that is roughly the context that we have into thinking about the world. The world are, in here is talking about the forces that are opposed to God's way of doing things. It's not right. talking about the entire world. It's not talking about all of creation. It's not talking about everything that's in creation. It's a shorthand for the things that are opposed to God's way of doing right. things. Right. I said things too much. Right. So anyway, um, I, I, I thought of um, a funny example, well, what I thought was a funny example from television. I'll be the judge of that. Go ahead. Um, well, I guess I should draw this out even a little bit further. So we have this idea of darkness, mm -hmm. and then these verses introduce this idea of uh, desire and craving as well. And so we said, in addition to this idea of undermining God's way of being, we also have this idea that that to love the world is to live as if pleasure is an end in itself rather than a byproduct. 
Right. So pleasure is our is our number one goal rather than something that happens almost on accident in life through living the kind of life uh, one desires to pursue, let's say. So I uh, wrote down what you actually said this weekend, which I thought was really good. You said, <laughs> Better than now I'd... it's going to be interesting to see if you really agree with yourself. You talked about faith or living by this certain way of seeing as living by living by our certain way of seeing where pleasure is a second order priority. Yeah. In other words, you're not saying you're not a Puritan. You're not saying there is no pleasure. Right. But a craving is the seeking. It, it is the obsession of seeking after a pleasure or a, a particular response um, that you you cannot not try to fulfill. And the opposite of that, living in the light, is that um, you are you your first order of business is living by this certain way of seeing. Right. So for you. There's nothing you love in this world more than your grandchildren. True. And your desire is for them to feel loved and accepted and included and for them to to know that they have a place in this world. Right. And that is your first order priority. Yes. And so in pursuing that, you spend very dedicated time with them. You're very attentive to their needs. Uh, you listen to them. You make eye contact. You do all of these things. And in the process of doing that, you have great fun. I do. You I have, get a lot of pleasure. There, out of there's that. lots of laughter. Uh, there's lots of joy. There's happiness. There's pleasure, and but and the pleasure is the byproduct of knowing that you're living out of your certain way of seeing, which is to show them uh, that they're valued. Yes, and I believe that that's important because of my certain way of seeing as it relates to my faith. Right. You know, I didn't get there because this is this is. Uh, just a thing I wanted to do. It's like in thinking about life, thinking about people thriving in life, thinking about people being participants in mercy and grace and loving others, their childhood, it seems to me, is extremely important. Yeah. So like as much as I love and appreciate and get pleasure from my grandchildren, I am equally I'm like on mission with my grandchildren, you know, in in almost and I know this isn't about me, so I'll stop in just a second, but almost in a way that um, I'm more passionate about than when I was raising you kids, my own children, because my, I don't have to be worried about putting food on the table for them or any of that stuff. That's what you and Brittany, their mother, are right. doing. And you, you can be a little more focused. And, yeah. yeah. So so I feel like this is a very light experience for me. You know, like I, yeah. I have the time and I want to do it. So, yeah, that's, that's an example. Now, um, to back up, so we, what we said was um, to love the world is to live as if pleasure is an end in itself rather than a byproduct. Now, uh, we just talked about the difference between first-order priority, second-order priority. And I think that the reason that part of the conversation is so important is because we live in a culture that teaches us that the second-order priority really is the first-order priority, Correct. right? So that pleasure is the—so we talked about um, 
we talked about the episode. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I know you've seen some episodes of Parks and Recreation just because I've watched it in your house before. Yeah. But I had not seen this have particular you seen, you episode. Well, okay, so there's a few of them because it because they do one. They every they, every season. They intro- that would be interesting. Um, kind of, yeah. yeah. So like they introduce it in the second season, I think, and then. And then they come back to it every so often. So okay. like it's like supposedly a year has passed and it's okay, so they have this day the characters in the show have this day called Treat Yourself Day. Which is <laughs> Treat Yourself Day. Yeah, treat yourself. <laughs> you have to say it like that. That's okay. how they say it. It's treat yourself. So you the idea of treat yourself is you go to the mall and you go and you just walk around and you go in any store that you feel like you want to go in. And whatever you see in there that you want, you have to buy it. Like, that's the rule for the day. If you see something you want, you are obligated to buy it because treat yourself. So okay. it's the day where you treat yourself. All right. And um, so this becomes a recurring a recurring bit on the show of, you know, treat yourself. And I think we live in a treat yourself society. I think we do. You know, if you see something you want, you must get it. And that that's how you become fulfilled. On a regular basis, people tell me when we're having hard conversations about making tough decisions in relationships, you can't possibly be asking me <laughs> to deny myself uh, the pleasure of blank. Right. Right. Um, and rarely am I actually asking that. Um, more often, I'm, but just even the idea that it yeah, might happen is yeah. scary enough that it's like, you can't expect me not to treat myself. Right. Yeah. I mean, treat yourself is <laughs> is is a daily activity. So, yeah. So, um, to be clear, uh, because this is a kind of dualistic thinking I don't want us to get trapped in. I don't think the message of this passage is deny yourself everything you like, which I think you already touched on that a little bit. Right. That would be to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I think it's something like if pleasure is our highest priority and if we treat it like it's our highest priority and chase it like it's our highest priority, then we might miss something. Yep. Yep. And and, uh, another way you also said it uh, last weekend is – uh, in the context of this passage, to love the world is to satisfy an urge in contradiction to living within God's desire to transform our lives. So part of what we might be missing is this work of transformation, of spiritual growth and transformation. So yeah, I, I underlined my notes where you said, if all we do is seek pleasure then we might miss something. Yeah, and I and I don't. Um, to be clear, I think it's even a wider vision than that. I, it's funny, and this is one of the sentences I actually had written down: "To love the world is to satisfy an urge that contradicts God's plan to uplift, empower, and and transform His creation." So it's like, you know, to love the world is not just to forego your own growth. It's to somehow hold back opportunities to experience God's love, mercy, grace, forgiveness, and provision, um, not just from yourself, but potentially from those around you. Right. Uh, via um, having 
second things first and first things right. it, somewhere it, down the line. It's, it's other people might miss stuff too. And of course, I think in our community, because we talk about this so much, it doesn't almost need to be said, but I think here it might. Because at Northstar, what we're always talking about is God's high priority to collaborate with his people. Mm-hmm. And that our collaboration means part of that work is, is as we said two weeks ago in the podcast that you did, is being able to be present for people and people be present for you and, and hold tough truths. So if pleasure is your first order of business, well, let me, let me say it like this. I have found that in loving others, that is a very inconvenient way of seeing. <laughs> that often in the moment requires us to forego pleasure. People have crises, people have sorrows, people have needs that need to be attended to, addressed, and people to be present for at really inconvenient times. Mm-hmm. And so if pleasure is your first order of business, those those uh, legitimate kingdom of God need-building, collaborative community experiences, they just ain't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. So you miss, I guess what you're saying there is you kind of miss opportunities um, to live out of your certain way of seeing and to show other people love um, through pursuing um, second things first. And um, yeah, and, and there can be, I think there can be a certain uh, pleasure or satisfaction from knowing that you've been useful. Right. Right. And so. Right. Um, by choosing pleasure of one kind, you're foregoing pleasure of another kind that may may be a little richer. Right, right. And remember, other people miss out too, right? So yep. it's the both and. Well, that was all very interesting, and I appreciated your clarification on that. But re- what really, really got my attention um, when you did this message was where you took the idea of cravings and urges. Mm-hmm. Break it down for me. What do you think a craving or an urge, as talked about in this passage, is really a sign of? Um, yes, yeah, so I suppose stepping beyond the passage, really, but um, if you look at the types of cravings and urges, the common ones to us in our culture, the types of things that we're prone to do, Right. Uh, I think they tend to be signs of our pain as much as anything. Now, we often treat them like, you know, the things that we don't have, the kinds of cravings that we don't have, the sorts of pleasure that, that someone else pursues, not that we pursue, is something to judge, right? So, like, if somebody – so we talk about the moral model um, of addiction, which right. is – People judge it as a moral failing or a right. character flaw or right. something. Um, uh, the lack of self-discipline and self-control. Yeah, lack of self-control. By the way, um, we don't believe this model. You're no, just using I'm just, it as a negative example. Right. It's a Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's the things that other people do. But we all have our kinds of things that we pursue. Um, 
you know, and I, you know, the kind of the most um, banal possible example was like, it's so common for all of us to say something cruel in the midst of a fight because you you just want to sting the other person. Like, right. it, and, and it's not even like you don't want it to stay with them, even though right. it will. Right. But it's like in that moment, like all you want to do is just like you feel hurt. And so you take a pot shot at somebody knowing that you're going to get them to hurt too because it just you just want to settle for revenge in that moment because you're super emotional. Right. Right. And that is to satis- that is fundamentally what it is to satisfy a craving. It's you're taking some opportunity for flourishing off the table for someone else to satisfy something that will give you a moment's relief from your own pain. And so in that sense I think that our cravings are signs of our pain. Yes, I really like that. Um, um, I think it it it's a more clear and more honest and more authentic understanding of what a craving is. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend and I had lunch today, and uh, she was talking about we were talking about something deep and profound, and she said, "Well." I don't even have to go that deep to think about this. I crave chocolate, mm-hmm. right? And um, although it might be useful to go deep with it, yeah. Well, we had been there for a long time, but she was like, you know, I can relate to the feelings of craving by understanding how I cannot stay away from chocolate, right? Which reminded me of a story. Oh gosh, of your grandmother. When she had fallen and was uh, in rehab, and they were sitting around the table, right? And she had broken her shoulder, her elbow, her pelvis, and she was getting all rehabbed. And rehab was really hard for her, and she was really stressed out. And You look like you're going to sneeze. Are you okay? Yeah, I was yawning, and if I, you know, with the microphones, if you accidentally blow air into the mic, it makes a horrific noise, so... Okay. So anyway, Apology, back- apologies for distracting you beyond repair. <laughs> well, you really had a funny face. So anyway, back to Nana. Yep. So Nana had been in rehab all day and was really upset about her life circumstances. And at this particular rehab, they served everybody lunch around a, you know, like family style. And some people were learning how to eat again and all this stuff. So anyway. So all the people at the table were getting served, and everybody at the table got served a piece of delicious chocolate cake, which was Nana's favorite dessert. And then then when they got to her, they didn't have any chocolate cake left, and so they brought her a piece of pie, and she had a complete and total toddler meltdown. Yep. I mean, it was so bad that they called your dad and he had to come into the principal's office and have a little conversation with the team about Nana's attitude. Oh, God. And, you know, all of us know never to stand in the way between your Nana and a piece of chocolate. But what was so profoundly... You know what, though? If you got people in that situation... Yeah. Make enough pieces of cake. I know, right? I'm really on her side of it. I've always been on her side of this story. Me too, because here's the thing of it. That craving for that cake was a reflection of how much pain she was on every single level. Mm. 
That's what you did with it. That's wh- that's where I was going. That was smooth, right? <laughs> I was so uh, I was so I, that story always like hit me on a gut level. I'd completely forgotten what we were talking about. <laughs> well, but I mean, like, right? Isn't that isn't that it? Yeah. Like she was craving that chocolate. Her mouth had been watering. She wanted it. She couldn't fix her elbow. She couldn't fix her shoulder. She couldn't get herself out of rehab. She couldn't stop falling. She couldn't stop being afraid that this might be her last hurrah of independent living. Um, it's, she it's, just wanted a freaking yeah, piece of chocolate it's cake. It's different in the sense that that, that desire was not going to harm, was not was not in any way going to undermine God's plan, but I think using it as a metaphor, you're right. Like you, uh, these things exist because of disappointments or hurts or, or other baggage or whatever. But I still want to hold on to my metaphor because think of it also like this, that we're going to talk in a minute and remind everybody again about Laying down our urges and cravings allows us to have intimacy and fellowship with one another, which First John is all about, right? Yep. Well, her hissy fit changed the dynamic of the relationship with that team. Now, I think it was all smoothed over and repaired and amends were made. And it's possible that I made brownies for the staff to kind of try to make up for her hissy fit. Right. But even in that moment, her... Her losing conscious contact of that this sorrow really wasn't totally about the cake, but it was about her pain. When she made it all about the cake, there was a disruption of relationship, which is why Dad got called into the principal's office, mm-hmm. so to speak. So, you know, I think it holds up. Okay. Yeah. Because you're getting ready to talk about that fellowship with God and others is a part of the solution to wrestling with all this pain without without being able to necessarily always lean into our cravings. Yeah, and I didn't even um so um yeah, the I the I uh, part of the idea of first John is just unpacking this idea in general that that to become a person of faith is to join God's people, and you join God's people uh, to bless the world, and you bless the world through living in the kind of way that reflects what God wants, which is, as we always say, and as we've said several times already, to embody forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, acceptance, inclusion, accountability, etc. And First John is particularly um, in, interested in the accountability piece, right? But it's not interested in the accountability piece in the sense that it's asking people to um, get over their cravings or to stop craving or even to stop acting on them. It's suggesting, well, okay. So if you're talking about these two opposed forces of darkness and light, right? Yes, ideally you'd be on one side of that equation, but how you get in the light and stay in the light is to become a person who acknowledges the ways in which you are tempted towards darkness and you bring those things and you and you bring those things into the light like through honest critical self-reflection and and so in, in when you do that you are in the light and that is the irony of it all yes um and so 
what was the point that I was trying to make? So this is the this is one of the fundamental preconditions of fellowship, and it's healing. Yeah, it's healing to For be everybody. Able, yeah, to be to to be able to bring these things up and know that in this place, uh, they're going to be tolerated. Uh, not tolerated in the sense that you know um, different types of pursuits are gonna have different effects on a community, right? And ones that are particularly harmful need to be addressed and changed. But by and large, the things that cause us shame, the act of bringing those things into the daylight, in many cases, is enough for us uh, to maintain that fellowship. Yeah, so what I hear you saying is that, by definition, being in the light isn't living only with the normatives of light living, truth, justice, mercy, love or the absence of things that are normative in the dark, jealousy, selfishness, greed. But it's what we're doing is when we confess, which I believe I talked about in yesterday's podcast, that we are coming to each other. And one day it's you confessing something, the next day it's me. Um, And we're putting into the light what we are most ashamed of and are afraid that people are going to judge us. And the people who are hearing it can hold that with us. Yeah. And they're not going to treat us any differently simply because we've acted like a human. Because the confession and the putting into the light is of itself a way of loving God and acknowledging that we care about this certain way of seeing and participating as a community, as in a fellowship of people who wrestle with our desire for chocolate cake yeah, and as to a be, community. And to be really clear about this, we strive to change and grow because of our love for God and others. But our ability to actually change and grow is not what is at stake in terms of whether we're in the light or the dark. Right. Right. So it's not just you bring up all the things that you're ashamed of and don't ever do anything about it and you become complacent. Right. You strive to to become a more loving, more merciful individual. And when you're not able to make that happen, you're not kicked out. You bring it to light. Right. And so what the, the condition for being part of the community is the vulnerability and the bravery and the honesty and the, the self-discipline of doing that critical self-reflection and bringing it in, you strive to change and grow, but our failures to change and grow don't push us out of God's community. Right. Which requires a community that knows how to sit with and hold each other's mistakes. Um, and it isn't cheap grace, which is cheap grace would be like saying, hey, your shortcomings don't matter. It's like, no, your shortcomings really do matter because they cause you suffering and they might cause other people suffering. So, yeah, we really want to ask love God you and, to remove them. But, but we love you and support you anyway. But you, you're in and we're in and we're trying to figure it out together. And so the only thing that would get dangerous in a community like that is if somebody can't tolerate the acknowledgement of their shortcomings. Um, 
just to, um, I want to tell a truncated version of the story that, that was at the heart of the message the other day. But uh, basically, I told the story of a friend who came to me. He had uh, misbehaved in life, let's say. And he was about to tell me about that because he couldn't live with the fact that nobody knew what he had done. And before telling me the thing, he said, do you promise not to judge me? Yeah. And... Um, the, the up- yeah, that's, that's always something you really don't want to hear before story. Yeah. But the upshot of all that is, just to, just to skip ahead and get straight to the point, what I heard in that was not, I'm scared of being judged. It was, I'm scared of not having you as a friend anymore. Mm-hmm. And to do the self-reflection, the critical self-analysis, and to put the things you're ashamed of into the light so as to stay in the light is really hard work. And it feels like there's a lot at stake, and it feels like you're opening the door for a rejection, which you are, which is why this is a community's work, right. uh, because it's it's hard on the community to be able to tolerate the kinds of things that you're ashamed of that you might need to put in the light. And so it takes work for the listeners uh, to be able to, to hold those things, and it takes work on your part uh, to be able to look inside and share that that kind of stuff. And so in that way, um, it, it takes the whole group working together on various things at once in order to make all of this work. But, hey, nobody said it was going to be easy. Yeah, and it's not easy. Um, I think we've hit your highlight of your points, but I just wanted to sort of close with with Russ going back to the story about Nana and the chocolate cake. Okay. You couldn't let... You couldn't, I can't uh, let it go because right. it, to me it's just such a great story because one of the things I loved about your Nana was how she could um, laugh at her own mistakes. Yeah. She had a great sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And she definitely was a person who brought her shortcomings into the light. No question. And it became such a great family sh- story of Nana and her chocolate cake. Yeah. And nobody would laugh at herself harder than her. And it was just adorable. It was adorable. It, it, After, the, you know, a little bit down the road yeah, in some cases. But it was also a story that gave all of us, I think, very even extra tender feelings for her. Yep. Right? Because as she confessed that story... This is a this is a gracious woman who spent her whole life making chocolate cakes for other people, right? And so it was just such a tender moment that she would have have wanted a piece of cake for herself. So I loved how our family was able to hold her in that and see her in the totality of who she was. Yep. Uh, without without judging her. And I think she led us in that to teach us how to do that because she certainly she certainly was able to do that for us and for other people too. Yes, she was. All right, it's time for a new segment that we're doing at the end of each podcast here. Just to, you know, to end on a little bit of a lighter note, we are calling it the Recommendation Station. Okay. Do I you bet you have some recommendations, don't I you? I have at least one recommendation. All right, let me hear it. Um, it's not the most, it's not the most modern movie. I mean, it's been out for a while. It's on Blu-ray. You can rent it, but, uh, it's one of my all time favorites. I've seen it probably five times and it came out maybe a year and a half ago, two years at the most baby driver, baby driver. Yep. All right. 
I'm excited. I'm excited. Baby Driver is, you haven't heard of it? I've heard of it. I heard you talk about it. I just haven't seen it yet because I've been busy. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so, so good. What's it about? Well, I'm not going to do that. You can watch, you can look up the trailer. It's about a getaway driver. Oh, okay. Because if it was about babies, I'd probably watch it tonight. No, no, no. It's, I mean, if I told you what it was about, it would probably sound um, sillier than it is. And so I would rather people watch it rather than write it off based on, based on bad info. So it's I have about a, a give, getaway driver. Yes. What, what are you bringing to the recommendation and station? And I am current and up to date. Out in local movie theaters still. You can still get buttered popcorn with my recommendation. Mm. The movie yesterday. Okay. Now, look, when I saw the trailers on this movie, I thought this movie was going to be silliness. It was adorable. And it was about the beauty. I liked the trailers for that movie. You did? Well, then you were smarter than I was because it was adorable. And it is about confession. Mm. And it is about... Losing and regaining community. Okay. So I think... On point. I think that I was on topic with this recommendation. Plus, you can get the butter popcorn. There you go. Yesterday. And it's got really great Beatles music in it, too. All right. Speaking of music, at this point, you are hearing music from Blue Dot Sessions. They provide us royalty-free music. We are grateful for that work. You can find them on the web at sessions.blue. Again, we are from North Star Community. You can find us at northstarcommunity.com. You can hear about our campaign to get local businesses involved in battling substance use in all forms uh, by visiting leadthewayrva.org. It's our campaign for Richmond. Uh, we would look. F- we would. Uh, Really appreciate you checking that out, just as we appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.